was listening to a, a radio interview with an author. His name's Daniel Krauss. And he writes suspense thriller fiction books. And he had come out with a book called Whale Fall. Whale, like a, a whale in the ocean, whale fall. And I haven't read the book, so I, I can't speak to its quality, but it sounds pretty interesting. It's about a guy whose dad disappears in an underwater diving accident. And so he, who had kind of an estranged, complicated relationship with his dad, puts on a scuba tank and dives down to try to find his dad. And when he's down there, he gets swallowed by a whale. Okay, does that story sound familiar? <laughs> anybody else? Yeah, it sounds like Jonah. And so they, the, and this is when it kind of caught my attention. I was like, okay, what's going on here? Uh, and the interviewer goes, you know, that sounds a lot like the book of Jonah. Are, are you a religious person? And he said, no, no, I'm not a religious person. But I, I do think a lot about religion. I'm pretty fascinated by it because I'm trying to answer personally some of the questions that I think faith tries to answer. And specifically, this book was kind of me trying to work out one of those big questions. And uh, let me set this up. He said, the book was triggered by an idea I got from what is a real scientific phenomenon, and that's called whale fall. So what a whale fall is, is when a whale dies in the ocean. You know, whales are some of the biggest creatures in the world. When a large whale dies in the ocean, kind of depending on where it is when it dies, sometimes that whale's body will eventually descend down to the very bottom of the ocean where there's not a lot of nutrients and coral reefs and all those things. There's just a couple of odd critters that swim around down there at the very bottom of the ocean. And so when a whale's body falls all the way down there, where there's not a lot of other nutrients in food, it creates a whole ecosystem around it. Suddenly everything gravitates towards it and is nourished by it. And the water's so cold and the water pressure is such that it can take up to 100 years for a whale's body to decompose at that depth. So for 100 years, it's giving life and nutrients to all these little creatures that swim around at the bottom of the ocean. And he said, I heard about that and it struck me that that... <clears throat> is an image of a good life and death. That when you pass on, that you leave behind something that those who are still living benefit from. So whether that's money or artwork that they go and appreciate, or maybe it's some change that you worked for that they benefit from, that, that your life kind of leaves behind something that successive generations benefit from. I think there's some biblical dimension to that. I just don't think it it completes the biblical picture of what a good life is really about. Um, and I was struck by that, that a guy who admittedly is non-religious, though clearly reads his Bible, is trying to understand what makes a life worthy, what makes a life good. Um, isn't it interesting that even people who don't have faith are thinking about that, Right? Maybe that's you if you come in here this morning. Um, which is striking to me because there is a narrative in our world that you are fine just the way that you are. You are just right just the way that you are. 
Whereas over here, this guy's thinking about, what do I need to do? What do I need to change? What do I need to accomplish in my life so that it's worth something? And then the other narrative that the same world is preaching to us is that you don't need to accomplish anything. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to improve in any way because you are just right, just the way you are. Do you see how those two things are in conflict with each other? Uh, My seven-year-old nephew, um, well, he's the son of my cousin, so I don't know what that makes him to me, but he plays baseball. And I just saw a letter that he wrote to Santa a week ago. So this was his letter to Santa. He said, dear Santa, help me be better at baseball. I've been mostly medium. (laughs) Mostly medium at baseball. Okay, first of all, I don't know if those are the kind of gifts Santa brings. But two, that strikes me, that, that idea of being mostly medium. At seven years old, he has this sense that I want to be better. I want to improve. Okay, well, what does the gospel have to say about that? Isn't the gospel kind of that you're just right, just the way that you are? Well, what does that have to do with this desire that we feel inside to improve? Where does that come from? Why do I have it? If, do I need to improve or does grace got me? You know, do you understand the, the tension there? Okay, do you see how some of these questions are kind of intersecting in this place? So at New Year's, you're thinking about improvement, right? You're thinking about resolutions that you have for this year. Well, how does improvement fit into the gospel story? That's what I want to think with you about. Okay, all right. So the gospel, I think, has a higher standard of what makes a life worthy than a whale's decomposing body. All right, so let me show you this. Come with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. I'm going to look at one part of this verse, and then later we're going to come back and we're going to look at the rest of it. So look at this with me. Paul says that he's been praying for the Colossians, and he's super impressed. And then he says this, I'm praying that you would live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. I'll tell you, those few words right there have been... um, just kind of tearing me inside out for all of December. That you would live a life worthy of the Lord, that's Jesus, and please him in every way. That's a high standard. That's a higher standard than fish eating your bones. You see that? Okay. Apparently this idea was pretty important to Paul, this this idea of a worthiness in your life, because it shows up a bunch of times. Look with me here. This is Ephesians 4. He prays that you would live, literally the word that's translated live there is walk. So it's like your daily life, that you would walk in a way worthy of the calling of Jesus. It's Ephesians 4. Philippians 1, worthy of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ. Romans 16, worthy of the people of Jesus. 1 Thessalonians, that you would be worthy of God, you would live a life worthy of God. 2 Thessalonians 1, worthy of the kingdom of of God, and then again in 2 Thessalonians 1, worthy of his calling. So I look at that, and I feel like somebody needs to remind Paul that isn't the whole thing that we are unworthy? Isn't that the whole thing? The whole, the whole good news of Jesus, that we're not worthy of it or deserving of it, that we haven't earned anything. And that's what we think of when we hear that word worthy, that it means implies that you've earned something, that you have a value, that you deserve this based on something about you. Well, look at this. Paul says this in Romans 11. If by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. So doesn't it seem like he's saying two different things here? On one hand, he's saying, I want you to live 
a life that's worthy of Jesus. And on the very other, on the very other side of his hand, coin, that's what I'm going for. The other side of the coin, he's saying, yeah, but you can't. You can't. If you could, if you could earn it, it wouldn't be the gospel. It wouldn't be good news for you. Okay, let me, remind, reminds me of three stories. The first of those is John the Baptist. You remember this? When John the Baptist, who was preparing the way for Jesus, saw that he was coming, he said, his sandals, I'm not worthy to carry. There's a Roman soldier who comes to Jesus. He's got a servant in his house who's, who's sick and he wants the servant to be healed. And he tells Jesus, he said, I did not consider myself worthy to come to you. And then maybe a story you've heard before, even if you've never been to church, a story we call the prodigal son. It's about a boy who gets his inheritance from his father. He goes out and he wastes it. And then he comes back to his father. He shows back up and he says to his dad, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And to all those who know about the grace of Jesus, we hear those stories and we say, yep, and that's me, unworthy. That every good thing I have in my life, I have because he decided to give me what I did not earn or deserve. That's grace. There's this song on the radio by Chris Tomlin called, Is He Worthy? Have you heard this song? Anybody heard this song? Uh, it goes something like this. It says, is he worthy? Sorry, is anyone worthy? That's how it starts. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone worthy? And then he goes on to describe the heavenly scroll. We read about this in Revelation that only Jesus gets to open the heavenly scroll. He says, is anyone worthy to do that? Is anyone worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? And then the chorus is just two words. He is. Only he is. And so what's implied there is I'm not. I'm not worthy only he is. Martin Luther, the reformer, he said that about all of us, he said, we are beggars. This is true. What he meant by that is we're not earners, we're not hard workers, we're beggars, and everything we have in our life we have just because of the grace of Jesus Christ. So what does Paul mean? Let's throw it back up there. When he says that you should live a life worthy of the Lord, well, this is one of those places where some things can get lost in translation because you and I interpret worthy to mean earned or deserving. But biblically, what that word means is balanced, in balance with. So what you might picture is a scale. I think we've got a scale here and we're going to throw it up. What Paul's saying is that your life will be in balance with the life of Jesus and that that would be a worthy life if your life was in balance with the life of Jesus. Okay, that doesn't mean that you've accomplished what Jesus have, has, that you've sacrificed what Jesus has. That's not what he means. It means that the substance and shape, the weight of your life is something like that of Jesus. So that if somebody were to look at you, they would say, your Lord must be like this because you are. And y'all must balance each other out. That would be my assumption. So... Think about this in two areas, character and actions. You know, character, Jesus was loving. He was kind. He was generous. And so am I loving, kind, generous. 
Okay, let's think about actions. Jesus sacrificed. He spoke the truth. Do I make sacrifices? Do I speak the truth? He was loving and compassionate. He healed. Am I loving? Am I compassionate? Do I seek to heal others? Do you see how the shape of my life, not the accomplishment of my life, but the shape and substance of my life should mirror or mimic be in balance with the life of Jesus, that that's the goal and that's what would make my life a good life, a worthy life. Okay, let me give you a, a visual of this. I think I've got it here. All right, I was working on this sermon and this trail mix from Kroger down the street was sitting on my desk. And uh, I noticed that the name of the trail mix is Wholesome Medley. The Wholesome Medley. Okay, that's why I was drawn to this trail mix because wholesome means nutritious, good for you, like this is good. All right, so let me just read you the list of ingredients. Roasted almonds, good. Uh, roasted peanuts, okay. Dried cranberries, roasted cashews, dried cherries, and chocolate chunks. Okay, do you hear how one of those things is not like the other? Do you hear the difference? There, okay, so let's throw this up on the screen, give you the idea of what this looks like with a scale. Um, if you're looking at my trail mix, to say it was wholesome would be to include things like almonds and peanuts and cranberries and cherries and all those things. But when you add chocolate to it, it makes it out of balance. And you're gonna see this, right? Like it's no longer wholesome. Does that make sense to you? So it has something in it that it shouldn't have in it. Okay, we could also, we could imagine another scenario where it doesn't have something in it that it needs in it, okay? So if, you know, I'm fine with them calling it wholesome medley because I feel good about eating it, but if, if we were gonna speak the truth, what would have to happen for this trail mix to actually be wholesome? We'd have to remove the chocolate, right? We'd have to improve in that way. For the record, um, within the last 10 minutes during worship, my children made it wholesome again by going through and picking out all the chocolate right here as we were sitting down here in front. Okay, so do you see that? Okay, so I think Paul's calling us to do a similar thing with our lives, to look at our lives and to think about the balance of it. So like what in my life is out of balance with Jesus? Okay, what in my life is out of balance with Jesus? Now what scares us when we start talking about the scales and our lives in comparison to Jesus is some of us who've been around church a while know that when you start talking about what you do, okay, and that's what we're talking about, the balance of our lives, which is based on what we do. If you start talking a lot about that, you can drift pretty easily into what we call around church legalism, which is that you do so much that you somehow earn the favor of Jesus Christ. And if you do the wrong thing, you're out of favor with Jesus Christ. And so it's really easy when you start talking about what you do and the importance of what you do as a Christian, what you improve at, what you grow in, that you feel like you're getting pushed towards a legalism that you thought we got rid of in the 90s. Okay, and so let me show you that I don't think that's the case. Come with me here to, uh, back to Colossians 1. We're gonna read the verses around Colossians 10. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you something. Hopefully this will make sense to you. Look at this, Paul says this. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. All right, you see that colon right there? Please him in every way, colon. 
I'm going to pay attention now to everything that comes after this. And we're going to, in fact, I'm going to kind of illustrate something that happens in this passage. But let's keep reading. After the colon, what would a life that was worthy of the Lord look like? Well, you would bear fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Did you qualify yourself? No, he qualified you, okay? For he has rescued us. Did you rescue yourself? No, he rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Did you bring yourself there? No, he brought you. Okay. In whom we have redemption, in you, no, in him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, do y'all remember this uh, piece of art? It's one of my uh, better pieces of art, the Person Pyramid. Do you remember this? We've seen this a couple times in 2023. If you've been at Highland, you've seen this before. If you haven't, you're our guest. Let me just explain. We, we've used this for this year to try to make sense of the life that we live. And I think this is the way everybody's living, whether they know it or not that at the bottom, the foundation of our life is what we call meaning or truth, what we believe to be most true. For Christians, we would say Jesus, and our experience of Jesus is grace. Okay, so that's what we would put down at the bottom. From that, and I think everybody works this way, from what you believe to be most true, you derive your sense of who you are, your purpose in life, what you're supposed to be about, who you are. And then every single day, even when it's happening subconsciously, you make your decisions about what you do, actions, based on who you think you are, which is based on what you believe to be most true. I think you can lay this pyramid over top of Colossians 1, starting at the colon, and it makes a ton of sense. So let me show you this. So we're going to rename the person pyramid, a life worthy of the Lord. And let's talk, go back to the colon with me, and we're going to work our way down the pyramid, and I want to show you how it's all resting on the grace of Jesus. Look at this. He starts with this. At the very top of the pyramid, the actions would be what? Bearing fruit in every good work. That's talking about things you do in the world to bless the world. Bearing fruit, okay? Nourishes the world. Bearing fruit in every good work, work, things you do, okay? And growing in the knowledge of God. That's what you're doing up at the top. You can see growing in the knowledge of God is already pointing you downwards towards your purpose and meaning, which brings us down to the next level. Let's go there. At the next level, your purpose, who you are, you're a person who's strengthened with the power of Jesus, giving great endurance and patience. You're a patient person, an enduring person because of Jesus. Why? Because your whole purpose is constant, joyful thanks to the Father. Worship, that's what you're made for. All right. And then let's come down to the next level. Why, what is all this resting on? Well, look, it's all about grace. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And this is what I wish somebody would have made clear to me when I was younger is that all the talk, when I was in youth group, all it was about was don't drink and uh, don't mess around. Okay, that was the whole thing. That was the whole experience. And nobody ever connected that to me to what the grace of Jesus is doing in the world and in my life, right? Why does the grace of Jesus, if it's the forgiveness of things I've done wrong, care at all about my improvement and my doing better? Am I leaving some things behind? Well, this is it, okay? Because the right actions rest on the right purpose, which comes from the truth that God has been gracious to us. 
okay? So it is the grace of Jesus Christ that motivates us to change and improve. Let me, let me show you the biblical image of this. So um, as good as the person pyramid is, that's not actually from the Bible. Um, let me show you how the Bible talks about this. You notice at the very top, it talks about bearing fruit in every good word, bearing fruit. That image is really consistent throughout scripture to bear fruit. So let me draw this out for you, what it's imagining here. Um, okay, scripture imagines your life like this. Okay, um, those are roots to a tree. In early service, somebody thought it was a chicken foot. And somebody else thought it was an old seven-fingered shriveled up hand. No, those are roots to a tree, okay? So what scripture imagines is your life much like a tree, okay? And that down here at the root would be the base of the pyramid. It's meaning, it's truth. For Christians, that's grace, okay? It's the grace of Jesus Christ. It's the fundamental truth of my life. What that does is it works upward and it produces in my life a strong trunk, an enduring trunk, a patient trunk. It, 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 it creates in my life purpose, okay? That's what you see here happening with the trunk of the tree, which ultimately the whole purpose of the tree rooted in the grace of Jesus is that it would do what? Bear fruit, right? That's the whole purpose, that it would bear fruit in the world, okay? And so what he's saying here, and this is, I mean, you got to recognize this. <clears throat> if I am not growing and bearing fruit, what that says is that I am actually severed from the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what it says, okay? That I am detached from the fundamental truth of my life, which is what Jesus has done for me. So a person who is not severed, who is attached to the root, will be doing what? Growing, improving, and most importantly, bearing fruit. Now, why is this significant? Why is bearing fruit significant? Well, fruit is something that the world enjoys in this life. It gives nourishment to those around you, not just when you die and sink to the bottom of the ocean. This is the point that you can have a worthy life right now, how will you know it's worthy if in your life you are producing fruit that others benefit from? That's it. You see that? Okay. And that's not legalism. What it reveals is that your life is connected to the root, the grace of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Do you get it? Okay. So uh, if I'm not growing, why am I not growing? Ask yourself that. If I'm not growing what do I need to grow in? So rabbit trail as a preacher, and then I'm going to wrap up, and we're going to finish with the best video of the year. I'm going to spend most of my life preaching down here, okay? Most of my life preaching about what Jesus has done for us and who that makes us. That's what I'm going to spend most of my time with. My thinking is if we nail this, this is going to get worked out on its own, if we nail this as a church. Okay, but sometimes I know it can be helpful to talk just a little bit about what the fruit is, okay? What are the things Christians are supposed to do? Because what happens is when we do the things we're supposed to do, it connects us more deeply down to the roots and then helps us to grow 
and our fruit. That's what happens, okay? So over the next few weeks, two months, we're gonna talk about the things Christians do. So I want you to bring a friend over the next few weeks. What, what, are, what are Christians about? What do they do? Bring them for the next few weeks. And what I want you to do to ask yourself this week, tonight, as you're thinking about the new year, how do I need to grow? Not just how many pounds do I need to lose? How do I need to grow in Christ Jesus? Let me show you this. In verse six of Colossians one, he makes this connection. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. You see that? Bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. If I have stalled in my growth, if I am not seeking to improve and bearing fruit, it may be that I am severed from the grace of Jesus, that I have forgotten what it's really about. So how do I need to connect to this to produce this this year? Let me pray over you and I'll dismiss you. God, I'm so thankful for your people here. Probably each of them today as they look at the new year thinking about how do I need to improve, God? And I pray that not only would you help them to focus on their families, on their physical health, on their workplace uh, and their lives there, but you would most importantly draw them closer to you. And they would think about the ways that they might grow in you by your power, by your Holy Spirit, and in your grace, God. Um, we believe that your grace, though it can't be earned, that it delights in our effort. And help us to put that forth. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.